The Australian Financial Review. Hello, I'm James Thompson, Senior Chanticleer Columnist at the AFR. Welcome to our weekly news breakdown of all things business, finance and markets. With me today is debutante podcaster and senior writer at the AFR, Jemima White. Welcome, Jemima. How are you? I'm well, thanks, James. Thank you for having me. I'm feeling perhaps a little bit underdressed if I'm here as a debutante. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, this week we're going to ask, why is the money drying up across the economy? We'll look ahead to next week's RBA rates decision, and we'll welcome back a special guest, fund manager Katie Hudson, for a look at how the share market is doing and a couple of stock picks for the new financial year. But first, we need to address the giant chicken in the room, of course, and that's the absence of my Chanticleer colleague, Anthony MacDonald. And I'm thrilled to say that Anthony is absent for the very best reason. Anthony and his wife, Beck have welcomed their third child this week. And on behalf of all the team at the Chanticleer podcast and all of our listeners too, we pass on our hearty congratulations on the arrival of a bouncing boy. But we're really excited to have Jemima on board too, because as well as being a brilliant reporter at the Finn, she's also one of our greatest talkers, I reckon. (laughs) And Jemima, there is no topic getting more discussion right now than the disaster at PwC. We've seen another big week. It started with a sort of grand apology from the firm and it ended with the threat of yet more investigations. What are you making of it all? Oh, it's an interesting one, James. I mean, my gut feeling is it's sort of reached the point where it doesn't matter what the news is for a while now because everyone's made up their mind. They're all talking about it. They're all angry. And, you know, I was pulling out the bins with my neighbour this week and he's just kind of had heart surgery and all he wanted to talk about was PwC um, and know when the AFP was getting on the case. So I feel like it you know, it'll be very interesting to see how they play it and sort of detoxify it. They've just lost so much credibility. What do you think? How do you think that apology played? Well, I don't think it played very well. I mean, they 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 put nine staff on leave, but they didn't release the names of those nine staff. I mean, the, really, when you've got the Prime Minister sort of calling for you to name names and then you don't do that... You, you really you really do ensure that you're in the doghouse. So I didn't think that was a, a very good apology. Um, and I think now we're in this weird twilight zone, as you say. Everybody's made up their mind. I think that's a really good way of putting it. And now we're waiting for the next act. And is that going to come from the government? Is it going to come from the federal police? Is it going to come from PwC itself? But this independent review they're doing with Ziggy Switkowski, it's not coming out till the end of eight of September. So that's an awfully long way away. And I think we're all a bit sceptical about these independent reviews anyway, aren't we? Yes. Uh, as Deborah O'Neill, the Labor senator, keeps pointing out, an independent review paid for by the company, uh, how independent is that? And I think that's a that's a fair question. That's a fair question. I agree. So look, James, I listened last week and you had that late breaking story about Sun Cable, the big solar project whose investors included Andrew Forrest and Mike Cannon-Brooks being bought out of receivership by Cannon-Brooks and that other group called Quimbrook. Does this mean the project's rescued? Will it actually happen? I mean, there's always been a view, clearly one that Cannon-Brooks and Quimbrook don't share, that it simply doesn't stack up. Yeah, well, I think, and I think there's actually a bit of a difference of opinion between Cannon-Brooks and Quinbrook. I spoke to the Quinbrook one of the Quinbrook founders and the managing director, David Skaysbrook, this week. 
And he was super impressive, just an absolute realist, not getting carried away with the hype around this thing. In fact, his, his words was, this thing isn't a project until we say it's a project. And there's another three to six months of due diligence and hard work to see if this thing's viable. But just to emphasize, so Sun Cable is a, a big solar a solar facility, solar power plant in Darwin. And the cable bit is an undersea cable that takes that power to Singapore. Um, Mike Cannon-Brooks is very excited about the cable bit. Quinbrook doesn't care so much about the cable bit. What they want to do is develop this solar farm, make it as cheap and as efficient as possible. And if that helps the cable, then so be it. So, But they think there's going to be lots of buyers for that solar energy um, and Sun Cable will probably just be one of them. So let's see where it goes. But I think I, I was sort of heartened that there's a realist involved now. It's not all big blue sky and, and big dreams. And billionaires. And billionaires. This guy will do the work and, and, and you know get this thing on uh, a proper footing if that's where it deserves to be. Well, Jemima, let's move to our main topic of the week, which we've summarised under the title, The Money's Drying Up. Now, there are a few examples of this week of how interest rates are starting to bite. We had housing approvals at an 11-year low. We had construction activity at a nine-year low. And then we had West Farmers, which owns Bunnings and Kmart, warning shoppers are trading down to cheaper goods and cheaper retailers. Jemima, what's going on here and, and, and what are the signs of the money drying up have you spotted? Well, I'll spare you more neighbourhood anecdotes, but there's definitely a few <laughs> of those around the place. Look, there's been a ton, as you point out. One that was particularly interested interested me that came out on Friday morning was an Adair's profit warning. They do the soft furnishings and throws and duvet covers yep. um, and they're in malls. They've got a couple of other brands as well. And they just noted that sales have fallen off a cliff since April. Right. Um so I think what it shows is this money drying up in terms of what people feel they've got available to spend is, you know, really they're, they're pulling back on fairly cheap products and they're just not necessary. So that was particularly interesting. I'm still waiting to speak to the CEO on that one. We couldn't quite get him in time for the podcast, but I think that's worth pointing out. Obviously, it's all happening at the big end of the market as well. You know, Goldman's warns that they were going to lay off more people, which I yeah. think is always an interesting signal. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the other thing that just caught my eye that I think feeds into this sort of narrative is this idea that, you know, Sanjeev Gupta's InfraBuild isn't really the perfect example of a company that people are flocking to throw money at. Yes. But, you know, InfraBuild is the best asset in the portfolio and probably the most solid one. And they managed to lock in a refinancing, maybe a bit earlier than some people expected, but they ended up going to sort of lenders that we don't normally see, you know, like a silver point. And I think that was just a good reminder of what we're actually seeing more broadly and more quietly across the market of perhaps where private lenders who charge much higher interest rates yeah. are, are sort of filling the gap, you know, whether that's with VC companies who don't want to do a down round but might be able to take it in another in another form or perhaps first mortgage lending where the banks are pulling back. It seemed to be a continuation of that trend in some way. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, we saw the bank's results they're all saying they want to continue to lend, and I think that's 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 absolutely what they want to do. But they're holding a lot more capital. They've got a lot more conservative balance sheet settings. And so you just wonder how credit is going to flow around the economy, whether there will be a bit more pressure on the banks, on people who want to get credit, whether that's for you know businesses or construction or whatever it is whether they're just going to feel the screws tightening a little bit more over the next little while that that's that's sort of what that infra build deal suggests isn't it mm, and and I think you spoke to Rob Scott 
this week, right? So what's what's his take, the boss of West Farmers, on all of this? Yeah, so I think he he's feeling quite good about this. So if you think of Kmart and Bunnings, they run this strategy called everyday low prices. So they don't do a lot of stuff that's on special or on discount or promotion. They try and have the lowest prices across their range all the time. So he's feeling that's a pretty good place to be coming into a period where he says the COVID stimulus uh, has dried up and the retailers that benefited from that are now finding uh, that they're in a, a bit of trouble. So he's feeling like he's in the right spot. People are going to trade down to cheaper goods, but also more value conscious retailers like Kmart and Bunnings. So that's a good point. But I guess the underlying message there is it's going to get pretty sluggish out there for the broader economy. You know, when West Farmers does well, that doesn't necessarily mean the broader economy or that discretionary part of the economy perhaps is going mm. to go as go as well. So Jemima, what's your sense of how investors are positioned for an environment like this? It's not easy to play when you've got uh, different sectors moving at quite different speeds. I think they're cautious. You know, a lot of them are talking about moving in heavily into cash where they can. I think one of the things that I found really interesting is talking to investors who've been around for a long time, you know, the ones yeah. that saw that late 1970s inflation, they're really pretty bearish. You know, they're saying we've got to think seriously about how long this is going to last, you know, what's going to, what's going to turn it. And I think they're all probably unanswerable questions, but very, very good ones to ask because I, I do think we've been in a market for a long time that has been pretty ready to look through things. Yeah, yeah. Well, you look at inflation this week. I mean, it, it came out ab- above where we expected, even if there was a bit of fuzziness in the data around fuel excises. I mean, inflation's still at 6.8%. This is the bit that worries me a little bit. None of these interest rate rises have helped with headline inflation very much, and they certainly aren't helping with rental inflation. Yeah, that's a really good point. And and uh, you wrote this week a little bit about, well, a lot, in fact, about the house price rising quite strongly. Um, and how that fits in with what's going on in the market and the broader economy? Yeah, yes, I have been become a little bit obsessed about housing. You're right, but it's like sort of everyone en- else out there. Exactly, it's endlessly fascinating at the moment. Uh, house prices were up again in in uh, the last month for the third straight month. They're now up two point eight percent since February, which is some turnaround from last year when they were falling like a stone. But it's a bit of a false signal, I would argue, that because what we're getting here is a distorted view of the housing market. What The houses that are selling, they're at the very top end of the market. It's mainly wealthy borrowers because we've got a bunch of borrowers who are either locked out of the market completely or don't want to sell because they don't want to um, be forced to move to a, a loan with a higher rate. So that's two factors. The other factor is there's not a lot of stock on the market. Um, CoreLogic, which does the data on this, says the level of stock in metropolitan areas is down 13% against five-year averages. It's down 18% in regional areas. So be careful of what you're reading from those regional house prices as well. But I think what we've been talking about, that's the real story of the economy. The construction figures are poor. The retailers are starting to struggle. We're seeing other pockets of problems uh, the 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 signal that house prices are providing that everything is rosy is just not right. So we do have this strange sort of multi-speed economy at the moment and um, don't get caught up too much in what's happening in housing. That would be 
That'd be my advice. Um, as tempting as it is. As tempting as it is. And, 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 you know, the RBA will be worried about this because we, we see this wealth effect in the past. When house prices start to rise, people feel wealthier and they go out and spend more. And that would add to inflation at exactly the wrong time. That, that, that'd be working against the RBA's, uh, what the RBA is trying to do. So housing's a bit of a issue for everyone in the, in the market. I think it's an issue for politicians and central bankers and lots of families too, where, you know, the, the, the crisis in house prices and rents is, is pretty in- incredible. And that mortgage cliff that everyone's been talking about. Yeah. What's your sense on how close we are to it? Well, I think uh, well, close uh, to the edge of it. Yeah, I think it's happening behind the scenes. So, you know, lots of lots of people know someone whose mortgages mortgage repayments are going to reset from by uh, jump by a thousand bucks a month or something because they're moving from this very low fixed rate to a much higher variable rate. So I think that's playing out. It'll probably won't be finished playing out until the latter stages of this calendar year. I think by the end of the year, 50% of those cheap fixed rate loans will be refinanced. And that's about 17% of all mortgages. That's another thing. We haven't quite seen the full effect of that. Not, not everyone's been through that process. So the lagged effect of interest rates is not quite here yet. Yeah, I was just thinking about that because if we even take the Adairs example, so there they are saying from April, all of a sudden things got tough quite fast. I don't imagine, well, I don't know, and we'll, we'll, but I don't imagine that's because people have suddenly worked out they're going to have higher mortgage repayments and they're not buying duvet covers. I think we're going it, to, it's going to go on longer yeah. than just a quarter or two. But that, That's a great point. It's not going to get easier for a, a retailer, is it? The, the, the pain is still to come. And interestingly, on the retailers, which clearly I've become a bit obsessed with, um, in the top 20, it's just shorts in the market at the moment, there's yeah. about five or six names in retailers, which is really, I mean, you'd know, it's fairly unusual to see that many. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, that that, that shows that people are betting against retail stocks in a in a very big way. So, Jemima, let, let, let's finish this. What, what other... What other pockets of stress, what other sectors are you watching for signs of weakness here that other signs that the money's drying up? I'm really interested in what's happening in private markets, which isn't perhaps so useful for, for people who, you know, like playing in the share market. But of course, anyone with a super fund's got exposure to that space. And I just think we're seeing all kinds of alternative credit and financing going on to those sort of companies that, you know, either are folding or need that sort of sort of arrangement. Um so I think that's a really interesting spot to watch. In terms of the market, I'm really interested in mining. I just I can't get a read on where that's going and where China fits into all of that and whether this this sort of really great pocket where people have made a lot of money, um, whether it's in, you know, green mining, for in quotes, or, you know, dirty coal, um, where that's going to go. So uh, what's your take on the mining space? Yeah, I think the miners feel to me like they're in a sort of okay-ish space, a little bit divorced from the macro settings because of this energy transition. Um, that's just got to continue over the next few years and mm. doesn't really matter where inflation is or if we have a recession, the, the, the transition rolls on. So they should do okay. Uh, the, the sector that interests me, I mean, we talked a lot about consumer-facing sectors. Banking's the one to watch. I mean, it's such a big part of the market here. Um, we've just come out of the bank results. They're looking okay, but where if if the weakness um, starts, that's where it'll be. It'll be in probably non-bank lenders first, non-bank finance companies, and then it'll move to the banks. They say they're 
Books are in good shape. They say they're feeling good, but let's see. Well, Jemima, let's come back after the break and discuss these issues in a little bit more detail with a very special guest who's going to give us a few stock tips as well. Welcome back from the break, but I'm even more excited to welcome back to the podcast Katie Hudson, who is the head of Australian Equities Research at Yarra Capital Management. Now, listeners will remember that we had Katie on just before Christmas to look ahead at calendar 2023, and with the new financial year upon us, we're thrilled to have you back, Katie. Thank you, James, and hi, Jemima. Hi, Katie. I feel very lucky to be able to swing in for this. So, Katie, how have markets been treating you since Christmas? Markets have been okay. We've performance has been good. I'm pleased to report. Good, but uh, very volatile environment. So a lot going on. Yeah. Okay. Well, tell us a little bit about the the, the macro environment and, and how you're seeing the markets rally so far this year in this context of the the broader economy. People are trying to reconcile why we've had a rally in the share market, given we've got expectations of the domestic economy slowing. Uh, But it's really important to understand that the market rally has actually been quite modest and it's been very narrow. So about 70% of the rally has actually been driven by about six stocks. Uh, And when you look inside those stocks, there are companies like CSL, like Transurban, Zero, Woolworths. The typical defensive stocks that fund managers hide in when they're worried about the economy slowing. Uh, and that's really what we're seeing at the moment. A lot of fund managers, investors hiding in the defensive part of the market with high cash holdings. And that's really driven what we've seen so far in the market. And so how's Yara thinking about it? Are you hiding or are you hiding and looking? Or how do you sort of sum up your strategy? Yeah, we're always looking for opportunities. Uh, we're style neutral. We're happy to buy growth. We're happy to buy value. And we're seeing a lot of a lot of opportunities at the moment. The one thing I would call out, though, is you do have to be very careful with earnings. Uh, it's probably the worst. Earnings are probably the worst value signal that we've seen in the last 10 years uh, because earnings have been extremely volatile. They've been, um, you know, COVID's had a big impact and there are a lot of sectors that are over earnings. So there are a lot of areas that we want to avoid at this point, uh, but um, we're also finding a lot of opportunity. What are those ones, Katie? What are the ones you're avoiding? So there's a number of sectors that have had a really strong COVID. Retail is one of them. We're now seeing retail start to roll over. Uh, Agriculture is another sector that's had three strong seasons. Uh, We think they're over-earning. A number of the energy and commodity sectors are probably over-earning as well. Uh, And we're also seeing areas that have been inflation beneficiaries, uh, had strong sales, uh, putting price increases through, driving strong top line, probably getting some margin benefit. Uh, Some of the building materials sectors are a good example of that. Uh, And we want to be careful as inflation starts to recede uh, that those companies will find it hard. You know, Amcor was a good example of that recently. You would have seen uh, their top line, uh, even though it was growing, their their price increases aren't aren't keeping up with a declining volume environment. uh, And all of a sudden, uh, inflation starts to recede and and they had earnings down 20% in the third quarter. So they're the sort of areas we want to be careful of at the moment. Katie, for punters who are perhaps new to investing, just explain this idea of over-earning because I guess a lot of people would say, you know, how can a company earn too much? But but for an investor, you're thinking about the next set of earnings, I guess. Yeah, we're thinking about whether the earnings trend is sustainable. 
So we're not looking in the rear vision mirror and trying to price a company off the earnings they've just delivered. We're trying to look forward and say, what do we think is a sustainable earnings trend for that company? Uh, and so, for example, the agriculture sector I called out before uh, has had three really strong seasons. We've had high commodity prices. We've had no drought. Uh, it's been a boom time for that for that sector. We want to be careful not to price earnings off that earnings environment. Uh, you know, Qantas uh, and the airline industry is another good example. You know, boom times for the airline industry. We want to be careful not to price uh, those companies off what we're seeing in the rear vision mirror. We want to look forward and think about where we're heading. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Katie, as you were going through all of that, you didn't really leave many pockets that you weren't concerned about. <laughs> so uh, I was, I was, guess I was curious to know. I was counting up banking, I think, which I'd be interested to get your thoughts on and, and mining, but maybe I've missed another one that, that looks like a good place for investors to hunt. Yeah, well, we certainly saw last year uh, the growth sector sold off pretty hard and uh, we think there's a lot of opportunities in there. As we look forward, there's a lot of debate at the moment about are we going to have a soft landing or a hard landing. Uh, when we look over the horizon and the timeframes that we invest against, we think we're going to have a low growth environment. Uh, the environment or the, the backdrop of having falling uh, interest rates being a tailwind to investment and the economies is not going to be there. A lot of really important economies around the world are going to have population headwinds. Uh, unless we have AI driving a big productivity lift in labour, uh, I think we're going to be in a low growth environment. So against that backdrop, we think growth companies that can take market share, that can compound earnings, uh, look really interesting. And fortuitously, last year was a big sell-off in growth companies, uh, particularly in the small cap sector, which I'm particularly focused on. So we, we are finding opportunities within that. And what's your view about the constraints or the capital constraints that might be out there for those growth companies? Because they you know, typically churn through a lot of of capital. I mean, is it is it a case of, you know, good companies, there's always capital available, whether it's from the market or the banks, or is it a bit more complicated than that? So a lot of the companies we invest in don't need a lot of capital to grow. They're actually capital light businesses and they tend to generate their own free cash flow to support their growth. Uh, but I think there is capital available for companies. Uh, we were just talking before we came on about uh, capital raisings are actually still quite vibrant. There's been a number that have done very successful capital raisings for smart acquisitions and they've been well supported. So, uh, But I think you make a good point, Jemima, that the capital contraction or the credit contraction hasn't really uh, had its full effect yet and that is one area that we are very careful of at the moment. Uh, a lot of uh, liquidity has gone out of markets. A lot of liquidity has gone out of, you know, obviously central banks and, and economies. Uh, and we, we are very wary of companies that rely on, uh, you know, recycling their capital, for example, uh, because I think it's going to be a tougher environment going forward. What are you, you mentioned AI there, Katie. It's the, it's the talk of the town. Um, we're all watching, we've all suddenly become experts in NVIDIA and uh, stuff that I hadn't heard of until about three months ago. How, how are you thinking about the AI um, trend as an Australian small cap investor or Australian equities investor? It feels a long way away from us, but are you starting to think about what are the implications? Oh yeah, absolutely. We've been uh, we've been thinking about that a lot for the last couple of years. Actually, um, we did a lot of work looking at who in the value chain is going to make money out of AI, and we found there's an enormous amount of algorithms out there. And we actually found that the owners of the algorithms may not be the ones who make the money. Right. It's the people who actually have the ability to adopt it into their business models that will do better. So to bring that to life for you, radiology is a great example of an industry that's already adopting AI very successfully. Mm. Uh, they use it in their front line to sort through patients, to prioritise. Uh, they improve the productivity of the radiologists by adopting AI and they get a better outcome. So that's a big win for a radiologist 
radiology practice because they can actually uh, support a higher level of productivity for their radiologists uh, and uh, you know higher higher turnover. So uh, the the application of AI feels like the place where we're going to make money rather than the owner of the algorithm. So Katie, we're not too far away from earnings season. Are we going to get a million questions about AI on those earnings calls? Do you think? Uh, yeah, although there's not that many companies that you can you can do that, but I, I think the applications are, are really broad and and very exciting, and it's certainly something that we're turning our minds to. Mm. Mm. And and ahead of earnings season, do you think we might get some more downgrades or profit warnings? We threw that. Yeah, well, no, they've already started, um, Jemima. <laughs> In fact, this last week has been a, a big week for the poor old retailers who yeah. are already starting to mm. feel it, uh, where the, you know, the, clearly the consumer is, is starting to feel the bite. And uh, the retail sector, as I mentioned before, had a fantastic time during COVID. Uh, they're now seeing the opposite. So they've potentially going from you know that over-earning environment that I mentioned before to potentially going below uh, in an environment where uh, you know cost pressures are coming through uh, and you know clearly the time when volumes are slowing. Yeah Jemima and I were talking earlier on the, the show about money drying up. I wonder how you balance that as an investor. Obviously the consumer facing sectors are going to come off but as a fund manager do you sort of abandon them completely or put them in the naughty corner for a while? Or do you say, let's look for the ones who are resilient and and perhaps um, might get sold off and, and, and be priced well? Do you have to not forget about those sectors completely? Yeah, you definitely don't forget about them because in all that crazy uh, and with the momentum that markets generally drive these days, there's often opportunities. So we've just been doing a piece of work on the retail sector to try and work out through the sell-off, through the downgrade cycle that, that started but will continue to accelerate, where the opportunity is going to be. So for us in retail, it's probably a little bit different to other sectors, but we just think it's really important to have structural growth. Mm. Uh, retailers have you know cost inflation embedded in rent, cost inflation embedded in labour, and with the Fair Work Agreement today, that, that gets even uglier. Yeah. Uh, but So we, we need to have top-line growth to sustain profitability, and so yeah, we're just going through a piece of work right, trying to identify which ones we'll, we'll step into when the time gets gets there. Okay. Well, speaking of identifying good stocks, have you got a couple that our listeners should uh, look at as, as long-term prospects? So I mentioned before about the growth environment. Uh, you know, we want to try and find companies that have got structural growth. Um, there's a lot of disruption at the moment, so there are a number that, are, that have sold off. Uh, we particularly like it when there's some short-term disruption that may focus att- investors' attention that we think creates an opportunity. Uh, we think in the radiology and pathology sector, we're seeing that at the moment. They're really great strategic assets. The private market multiples are higher than the public market multiples for that sector, so that doesn't happen very often. Right. Uh, we think there's well, going to be a bit more disruption. you don't think that's a valuation lag that's going on with the private space versus public markets and oh, private look, needs to play catch up? Absolutely. There's an element of that. But these are very attractive strategic assets. And what the public market seems to be doing at the moment is focusing on the short-term earnings trend. And there has been some mm-hmm. disruption in volumes in pathology and radiology. Uh, GP volumes have been slow to rebound. COVID has created some disruption. But they're the opportunities we like. So radiology and pathology, we think over the next few months, if there's some weakness, you know, we'd step into that. So companies like ACL, uh, like Healy, uh, like integral diagnostics, we think really interesting. And they're the sort of opportunities that, that we tend to step into. Yeah, okay. Anyone else you'd talk to? So when we when we caught up last time, I mentioned the platform companies. We still think they look really interesting. Uh, so I'm thinking about NetWealth and Hub, uh, those type of businesses, you know, really great structural growth companies. Uh, and then, you know, certainly in the technology sector, we're finding a lot of opportunity as well. Okay. 
Um, I guess I had one question about when you identify these stocks, particularly in that in that health space. I mean, do you think there's much of a risk of M&A in, those, in that space and how does that feed into how you look at them? Uh, absolutely. It, it's definitely uh, the interest of consolidation in that health and uh, diagnostic space is, is absolutely evident. Uh, the private markets, the private equity players are very active uh, and that's really sitting under that, that comment I made earlier about private market multiples being strong. But uh, we think if the public market doesn't wake up and realise the strategic value in those assets, that they'll, they'll get taken over. Mm. Now, Katie, we can't let you go. It's uh, without asking you about the RBA decision next week. Your uh, Yarra is home to one of Australia's best economists, Tim Tui. I'm not sure if he's been able to help you out with his prediction today. What, what do you see happening next Tuesday? Sure, yes. I'm very fortunate to work with Tim. He, he's an absolute star. Uh, Tim's view would be that the RBA should be done. Uh, but seems to be fixated at the moment with unit labour costs and that fair work agreement that we've just seen come through is, is certainly not going to help that. Uh, and so his expectation is that we're on pause this month, but there's still the possibility of, of one more, uh, but that we don't need it. So Fair uh, enough, yeah. fair enough. Jemima, what do you think happens next Tuesday? Oh, I wouldn't have a clue, James. I think that's an impossible <laughs> call. I think everyone would agree it's really could go, could go any way. Um, but, you know, as we've seen it all, all come through and this pain that we've talked about and the money drying up, you'd, you'd hope they'd take that into consideration in some form. Yeah, I, I took a lot out of Phil Lowe's uh, appearance at the Senate estimates this week. I, I thought he was quite strident about inflation and maybe he's a guy with nothing to lose given he's probably not going to be in the job for too much longer. But I thought he was quite strident on inflation and he might be worried about these uh, strong house prices that are coming through. So I'm in the hype camp, um, but I'm... Our records are patchy at best at predicting these things, so we'll see how we go. Either way, he's going out with a bang. He's going out with a bang, that's right. Well, Katie, thank you so much for joining us. We're thrilled to have you back, and uh, we look forward to catching up soon. It's great to get these um, periodical looks into the market and, and look at how a, a proper investor is thinking about it. So thanks for having me. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jemima. Thanks for, a, uh, for, thanks for filling in and we uh, look forward to having you back on the Chanticleer podcast very soon. Of course. Thanks, James. Thanks, Katie. If you like the podcast and you want to hear more, consider rating and reviewing us as it helps others find us. And follow us wherever you get your podcasts. At The Financial Review, we investigate the big stories about markets, business and power. For more, go to AFR.com and you can subscribe to The Financial Review, the daily habit of successful people, at afr.com slash subscribe. Chanticleer was hosted by me, James Thompson, and filling in for Anthony MacDonald is Jemima White. And thanks to our special guest, fund manager Katie Hudson. The podcast was produced by Alex Gow and Lap Fan. Our theme is by Alex Gow. The executive producer is Fiona Buffini. The Australian Financial Review.